Bob Ambrogi, and welcome to another episode of This Week in Legal Blogging. This is episode 46. The show is presented by LexBlog. LexBlog is home to the world's largest community of legal bloggers and is the industry-leading provider of professional blogs and turnkey digital publishing solutions to lawyers and the world's largest law firms for more than 17 years. Again, this is Bob Ambrogi, and our guest this week is an employment law blogger, Will Manuel, partner at Bradley and author at the fir- of the firm's blog, Labor and Employment Insights. Will, welcome to This Week in Legal Blogging. Thank you. I'm very honored to be here. And uh, I should have said you're joining me from, uh, you're in Jackson, Mississippi, right? That's correct. That is correct. Where it is very, very hot and steamy. Yeah, lucky you. Boston is yet to have a yet to have summer. I don't know what's going on up here. Um, it's not the weather has not been cooperating. So before we start talking about your blog, uh, let me first of all ask, uh, how are you doing? How have you been over this uh, crazy crazy year of, of pandemic and isolation and everything else? I will say I've had to learn a lot about how to um, manage things from either my screen porch on the back of my house. <laughs> Or from here in my office, I did not was not very technically adept on using Zoom before the pandemic, but I have learned very quickly, and it's been kind of amazing the the number of things that I've been able to do just by video. I've, I've taken depositions, I've attended court hearings, I've done trainings, I've done all sorts of different things over Zoom that I never in a million years would have expected to do. I won't yeah. say that I thoroughly enjoy it. I do miss some of the interaction and some of the feedback that you get from being live with other people. But I have been pleasantly surprised that the legal world continues to grind on even through the pandemic. Yeah. Well, practicing law from your screened in back porch is such a bad way to uh, bad way to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, what, what have you thought about what's it been like to do uh, depositions by Zoom? What have you thought of? Well, that? It, you can tell it. it you know, a lot of what you pick up on somebody's credibility, you pick up from sitting across from them. their tells, you know, I'm a big poker player. You can pick up on somebody's tells a lot better when you're watching them in person. It's a lot harder to do it by video. Exhibits are hard to, to do by video as well. And then there's always some sort of glitch that probably will, will happen. I had um, in one of the depositions I was taking, my son and a bunch of his neighborhood buddies came walking through the backyard and started waving and making all sorts of noise. And I had to run them off one of the times. And I was glad that, that happened during a deposition and not during a federal court hearing. But it's, it's amazing because I've actually I did three different preliminary injunction hearings by Zoom and the federal judges were perfectly adept in what they did. Mm-hmm. They they actually had you stand up at your desk because they said if you were in my courtroom, you would have to stand up. And so they would have you stand up and you just did your presentations and they picked it up a lot quicker, I think, than a lot of the lawyers did. Yeah. It's funny because I do uh, in my own law practice, I do some uh, arbitration work as an arbitrator, uh, as a neutral. And uh, I've done a number of arbitrations now this year by way of Zoom. And, you know, I, I, I know what you say about 
you know, not being in the same room with witnesses or with counsel, you don't get all the nuances. But at the same time, something I've noticed is you really get, you, you see a witness's face in an intense way that you probably <laughs> wouldn't do when you're in the room with them. Because when you're in the room, you're kind of looking down, taking notes and turning over here and looking at exhibits. But you got that witness staring right at you on the camera. And uh, it, it's, a, it's an interesting experience. But uh, It is true. And I also think that people let their guard down a little bit more by going through Zoom, I don't think they take it as seriously. We've yeah. had some witnesses that have said some things that I don't think they ordinarily would have done if their lawyer were sitting right next to them in a conference room. It's I will admit that that's been a different aspect of it that I didn't expect. Uh, and uh, given that you're uh, an author of the blog Labor and Employment Insights, I'm assuming your law practice is largely uh, labor and employment. But tell me a little bit about your practice and what you do. Yeah, I'm, I'm about half labor and employment and half commercial litigation products liability. They call me a slash lawyer within the firm because I'm, I'm part of two different practice groups. But I, I picked up, started doing labor and employment work very early on um, because I found that it was a way to get into court very quickly. I really enjoy trying cases. I enjoy hearings. I like to write, but the writing that I like to do is probably more of the informal blogging style as opposed to the formal um, legal writing style. And so I found that, you know, litigation was a way to get out and, um, and speak to people and try cases. And it's still true that a lot of labor employment cases are the ones that are going to trial these days. Tort reform in a lot of the South has shut down products liability cases and a lot of commercial cases and arbitrations have um, also cut into some of that. But the labor employment work just always is, is rocking along. There's always going to be some lawyers out there filing Title VII suits, filing ADA suits. And the, because of the amounts of money, um, a lot of times they'll, get, they'll go to trial. And I've tried many, many of those, much, many more than I have on the products liability side. Yeah. Have there been uh, unique issues that have come up in the labor and employment area over the past year because of COVID-19? <sighs> yes, a lot. <laughs> where where yeah, do I start? A whole right? lot. We did, on our blog, I will say that we spent, Probably starting last April, we were almost all COVID all the time for about two months. You know, you've got issues on Fair Labor Standards Act, on how do you track um, employees' time when they're staying home. You've got all kinds of issues on the ADA and trying to figure out how you accommodate um, health care workers for people that have certain issues. One of the aspects that I never expected, we had a lot of the religious exception aspect of it, about people who would say they didn't want to um, wear a mask, they didn't want to get vaccinated, things like that. We're seeking religious exemptions um, from those requirements. We had a lot of um, businesses had a hard time on getting employees back into the office. It really was a different kind of time to have to think on your feet. And the whole time that that was going on, you've got the EEOC, the CDC, OSHA, all these different government um, agencies are putting out different um, directives and new types of guidances. And at the same time, you've got all the PPP issues that are coming in and how people are going to get those loans. And we were really hopping there for a while. I mean, my phone, my cell phone, I would say probably for the first two weeks of April, I was on the phone all the time because yeah. people were trying to make decisions about how they were going to staff, were they going to lay off a lot of people. You even had the old, I mean, the Warren Act, which is an act that came out of the Clinton administration about laying off more than 50 workers at a site. Right. All that kind of stuff came back up because of 
the combination of COVID and the changes in the economy. Yeah, and they had to make those decisions right away and uh, act quickly. It wasn't something they could mull over. Right. And it was one of those things that you couldn't just say, give me a week and I'll go look up the case law because there was no case law. You couldn't you didn't even know what the EEOC or the CDC were going to do the next week. And so you really had to kind of think on your feet and just say, we'll have to try and figure out a way to get through this together. Yeah. So um, let's let's talk about your blog a little bit. As far as I can tell from looking back through the archives, this blog got started around twenty August of twenty fourteen, I think. Uh, and That's it right. looks to me like you were uh, you were there right at the beginning. Uh, you you were uh, did you help launch it in the first place? I did. We had a practice group meeting in Nashville, and uh, I had been reading some legal blogs and saw. I mean, two thousand fourteen. There were there were good many of them back then, but I read them almost every day. And I said, you know, I think this is something that we ought to be interested in. And almost every one of my partners to a T said, there's no way anyone will ever read. There's no way it will ever work. You're just going to waste your time doing it. We just, we just don't think you ought to do it. And I had one partner, Ann Yangard, who's the co-editor of the blog. She said, if you really want to do it, I'll do it with you. And we met with our marketing people. We were the first blog to get launched out of the firm. Yeah. And Which they now said, has several blogs. Yeah, they said, what you've got to do, though, is you've got to commit and you've got to be consistent because the worst thing in the world, and I'm sure you know this, is the, there'll be a blog out there and the last time that they posted is a year and a half ago. And it just sits out there and looks real lonely and real sad. And so we committed that we were going to try to at least do one blog post a week. And we set up a schedule and tried to get people to do it. Um, and it was still to this day, one of the difficulties we have are people that are intimidated about blogging. I mean, we will say to, I'll say to a partner who would have no fear at all of sitting down and writing a newsletter alert or some sort of client alert. And you just say, all you really need to do is just write me two or three paragraphs about something that's interesting in you know a court opinion or an EOC guidance or whatever it is. And they treat it like a law review article. They say, I just don't have the time to sit down and do it. And we still to this day have some struggles with that. But the younger people love it because they get um, some of the younger lawyers, especially the associates, they get a lot of notice. They get, um, you know, we'll get calls from Reuters. I mean, I've been in USA Today. We've been in all these different publications that somebody will read the blog and they'll say, we just want to get a quote from you on something. And for younger lawyers, they eat that stuff up. They love it. Right. You know, and and they also read it. And so it's been kind of interesting to see how it's evolved. We, I think we've missed maybe one or two weeks, but we try to really be consistent of at least having one blog post a week, no matter what. And I do a lot of email yelling on to people to try and get them to come in there and make sure that they're going to write for their week. But sometimes I have to fill in or Ann has to fill in as well. Yeah. Well, something I've heard uh, some younger lawyers at larger firms say about blogging is not only that it gives them exposure outside the firm, but that it gives them exposure within the firm, especially, uh, you know, younger associates that are trying to get some uh, stand out a little bit uh, within the firm. Have you seen that? Yeah, Yeah, that is very true. We had a younger partner who wrote a blog post, I think, two or three months ago, and I thought it was fantastic. And I said, we need to send this out firm-wide and not just in the labor employment group and not just the corporate group. And we sent it out firm-wide and he got a huge amount of feedback from, like you said, both within the firm and outside the firm that I was just really proud of him. And it it boosted him in a great way. I mean, he really loved it. Yeah. 
So, so back uh, uh, in 2014, those those uh, partners who said nobody's going to read this thing, uh, <laughs> were they right or what happened? <laughs> well, it took a while. It, it took a while to kind of take off, but we did. And I don't know if every blog does this. I bet they do. Um, some it was a way that you could subscribe to our blog by sending out to our clients an email link, and they would link on. And when you know, eventually the numbers started picking up. And I remember one of my clients is U-Haul International. And when the assistant general counsel of U-Haul sent me an email and said, I always know when you're the one writing the titles for the blog, because they're usually kind of have a pun in them or something like that. And she said, I read this blog all the time. You know, she reads all the other, you know, labor employment, big firm blogs. But she says, you know, you guys are just always consistent. And usually you've got something that kind of catches my eye with like a silly title or, or something like that. And, Eventually, we got some of those other partners to start writing. It really also helped. We do a quarterly seminar for our clients or even non-clients called Breakfast with Bradley. And we have gotten a, a big pickup in people that attend that because they've been reading the blog and they want to come you know, get some free CLE. Um, we've gotten some work out of it. We got a lot of work out of it during COVID because the firm really did us a favor of putting on the very front of the web of their web page a covid like a separate covid link and it linked to all of our blog posts about the different the different things that were going on with like said the CDC and OSHA and all those and we got a lot of calls off of those blog posts so yeah. we really had to try and stay on top of it yeah, well, and I think so, I think something else about blogging is you know you 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 get occasionally those those direct calls where you can kind of attribute it to the blog, but uh, there's probably also business that comes in by virtue of just raising your profile generally, and it's not that they can say, oh, I saw your blog post, but they probably did see your blog post somewhere along the line or something. But right. when your name does come up or when the firm's name does come up, they say, oh, I know that guy, I know that firm. It does, does that, help. Does that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does. It helps a lot. And then it, it's always amazing to me when you see the metrics, you know, we get these, when you write a blog post for us and you get a, an email from the marketing people that will show who has read the blog and what, how many times it may have been tweeted out or things like that. And it always blows me away to see some of the companies that will read, in my opinion, just this Southern law firm's blog. And it's people from all over the place. Um, and, you know, LinkedIn has helped on that too because you know a lot of stuff goes over onto LinkedIn and gets posted, and it it really does raise the profile of you know we're a regional firm based originally out of Birmingham. We've got I mean I'm in an office here in Jackson of 34 partners, and so yeah. it's really kind of fun to to see that somebody in California or you know England or somebody like that is reading something that I wrote or one of my partners. Wrote. Right. Do you do you tend to have a regional focus on the blog? I mean, like I suppose with labor and employment, you tend to be mostly federal stuff anyway, right? Or right. We did at the very beginning. I think we thought that was what our our bent was going to be. You know, mainly focused on the Eleventh Circuit in Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee. But we quickly found out that the, the posts that were getting read the most were about things of national importance um, or just some small thing that we would have found. You know, I I subscribe to all the email alerts from OSHA, EEOC, Department of Labor, things like that. And there are any number of things that they just sneak out there. And because they come to me by email, you can see them and put them out. And people are kind of amazed to say, I can't believe that's really what the Department of Labor is going to do. And so we, we change fairly quickly to being more of a national focus than we did to just trying to focus 
Now we've had, you know, sometimes they'll have something unique will come up in Tennessee or something unique will come up. Um, you know, we now have offices in Texas. And so there's a lot of things that go on in Texas that we will try to, um, to focus on because they're pretty unique. But a lot of our clients seem to really enjoy when we talk about bigger picture items. So seven years of blogging coming up now for you. Uh, what have you learned about blogging over those years? How has your perspective on it changed or evolved? Well, one thing I've I figured out is you really have to put something out there that's going to catch people's eye initially. I mean, I'm, I'm big on titles and trying to come up with something like my favorite title that we had was seventh circuit scrubs, attempted snub of arbitration of Grubhub pay stub hubbub, you know, just something <laughs> that silly, you know, but I got so many people that wrote into the, wrote into us and just said, I, I would have never read anything about that seventh circuit decision. And to be honest, I, I wrote it because when I saw it was about Grubhub, I thought it would be a good rhyming opportunity. So that was going <laughs> so, so did you did you have to work on that headline, or was just like in the shower or something, and suddenly a light bulb went off? <laughs> I, I sat I sat here at my desk and wrote out words that rhymed with bub and hub and grub, <laughs> and just tried to work out something. But we, you know, trying to figure out because there are a lot of employment law blogs out there, and they're yeah. the ones that seem to be most successful, at least the way I look at it, are the ones that either have a unique take on it or they're very fast and getting something out when it immediately happens, or they've got some sort of bent that's a little bit cheeky that kind of gets people interested in, in reading it. And, um, and so I think that's one thing. And then the other thing I think is just trying to figure out the style. I mean, we've got certain people that have written for our blog that I've had to go in and completely change because they, they were talking too much like a lawyer. I mean, we, we try to keep it, relatively informal. We try to keep it very informative as well. We try to fit as much information as we can in a small space. We figured out that um, we use a lot of bullet points. We use a lot of headers because, and that all comes from Ann Yanger, my co-editor, because she'll go in and if it's just a huge block of text, people will usually just kind of gloss over it and not want to read it. But if you, she breaks it up into like four or five sentence blocks with a, with a good header on the top of it. And then the other thing is most of the time I'll have people that say, I usually just skip down to the takeaways or how is this going to affect me or whatever it's going to be at the end. And I think at the beginning, we didn't do as much of that as we probably should have. And even if you're putting in there to say, we really don't know what's going to happen with this guidance, or we're not really sure what's, what's going to be the next step, but you know, here's some things that we think might happen you get a lot more um, interest in those type of blogs. Yeah. And what do you know, if anything, about who your readers are? I mean, I know you were saying they come from all over the world, I guess. Uh, are they mostly clients? Are they mostly businesses? Are other lawyers reading it? Uh, what's your sense of that? You get some other lawyers that read it. I mean, I read a lot of other law firms' blogs as well, just to right. kind of keep track of what's going on. Yeah. A lot of them, we, we get a lot of Fortune 500 companies that must be some sort of HR feed that they get. And I think that in some of it, you'll see it's obvious that something has happened and some people are doing Google searches to try and figure out what is going on in this aspect of the law. And we must pop up somehow on that. But it is, we, we do have a lot of clients that subscribe to it. We get a printout of all the people that are actual subscribers to the blog. And I'd say probably 80% of that list are actual clients that we have. Um, we get uh, some law professors that read it. I've gotten a couple of 
emails. And then, as you probably know, the other people that tend to read it are these fringe folks that kind of hang around the legal legal blogging industry and will constantly send me emails saying, you know, for a price, I'll sell you a blog post or, you know, we'll be glad to do something like that. And I'm like, we don't need it. I don't need yeah. it. I probably now these days get at least two or three of those a week. Somebody will say, for this amount of money, we'll boost your blog traffic or for, you know, right. we want to do a guest blog, but you're going to have to pay us to, for us to do a guest blog. I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to yeah. do that. And that's yeah. just picked up in the last year, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I get I get flooded with those. That it's pure spam, but uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of it. So, uh, I, if, based on looking at uh, what's listed on your blog, it, it shows twenty different people as as authors. I don't know who off who writes or how often they write, but how do you kind of manage that process of who's covering what when somebody's publishing? Uh, do you have a system around that? We do. We have a schedule. We've got um, a woman, Sarah McVeigh, who's here in my office, who's in our marketing department. And she'll go through and set up a six-month schedule, and every week somebody is assigned to do a blog post for that week. And she'll send an email the week before. Sometimes she'll come to me and say, "Do you have some ideas that I can put in the email to the you know the next up author so that they they know kind of where to turn?" Ann and I both, because we read a lot of legal blogs, we will forward stuff to Sarah whenever we see something, you know, this would be a really good blog post. Somebody could turn something like this around. And then what's supposed to happen is then by (laughs) Wednesday, they send us a blog post and Ann does the proofreading and the editing on it. I might tweak the title a little bit. We might go in and put some, put some different little um, signposts in there. And then we try to get it published by, you know, no later than Thursday. Unfortunately, you know, we have had weeks in which nobody will send in something or they'll say they're too busy. And so then it's all hands on deck to see if we can get enough people. We've been lucky this week. We actually have three already in the hopper that we can. I think we're going to publish two this week and we'll have another one for next week. But again, you also you need to be aware of the timeliness because, yeah. you know, if we're waiting two weeks down the road to publish something that has already been written about, I mean, we're going to look like we're pretty far behind. Right. Yeah. And, and what happens? I mean, what if the if the Supreme Court were to come down tomorrow with a you know major decision in the field of labor and employment? Would you drop everything and get that in there, or how would you handle that? We we like a good example would be with the Bostock decision. We did. We had to have somebody turn that around that afternoon. We got a bunch of people on the phone and said, you know, this is a big decision. Um, we're going to have to have something out by the morning, and we we sat up and, and worked on that. But he. I mean, it's not, it didn't take too long to do it, but we just knew that that was something that everybody was going to be hitting with. And we wanted to make sure we got out there as quickly as possible. Some of the same stuff with some of the COVID stuff, when the, you know, the relief bill came out and when some of the PPP issues came out, we tried to make sure that we get people on email and say, we've got to have something written on this by the, by in the morning. Um, Cause you get your lunch eaten. If you don't, if you wait too long on it, especially like we saw during COVID, Everything was changing so quickly that you just you might put something out there and it was already dead news um, within the next week because, you know, the EOC or the CDC or somebody had changed something. Do you have any topics that are off limits, things you just won't cover on the blog? That's a really good question. <laughs> and in, 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 I mean, with the employment stuff, not we haven't we've run into one or two times that we've had an issue and we've had, I'm trying to remember, we had one that dealt with a religious exemption 
it was a church, a decision about a church who had terminated um, somebody based on sexual orientation. And we had written a blog post about it, it but it, it turned out that we actually had a client that was being um, investigated for the exact same thing. And so we held off on, well, we didn't hold it, we published it, but we changed some of the stuff at the end with regard to, you know, I mean, we didn't change anything to make it untrue. We just changed it a little bit, made it a little softer on some of the things that we said at the end. That's the only time I can think of that we held off. Now, you know, I hear tales about other firms that represent certain environmental um, blogs and stuff like that. Well, they'll have clients that say you cannot put any kind of recommendation about that because we disagree with that regulation. And, and I, that would put me in a very uncomfortable situation, I think. We've been lucky, you know. Fingers crossed, we haven't run into that as much. Um, and, and do you do you have any? Um, I mean, when you, when you get say a, a new attorney or a new associate writing for the blog for the first time, do you give them any guidelines or parameters on how to write a blog post or you know how they should structure it or anything like that? Yeah, we would. Well, the, we do try to say don't write it like a law review article. Don't try to use no footnotes. <laughs> yeah, fifteen cent words when you can use a penny word. Um, we try to tell them to keep it. At the very beginning, we had a problem because people were writing it too long. I mean, we'd have, you know, two and three page long um, submissions for the blog. I said, that's just too long. We always try to tell them you need to give some sort of advice or recommendation at the end. I mean, there needs to be something that when these people read it at the end, they'll say, ah, that's why I think these guys might be good lawyers is because they came up with this um, suggestion on how things ought to work. And most of the time, it's just trying to get people to cut back. You know, I've got, I've got a couple of lawyers who, when I have suggested, you know, kind of snappier titles, they'll say, no, I don't want it. I want it to be read just like this. I said, okay, you can do it. And it, you can have your boring title all you want and nobody's going to read it. And that usually happens. But um, yeah. most of the time it, it, it's getting them over the intimidation factor of writing period. And I always just say, it's essentially if you were going to write an email to three of your buddies in the firm about a decision, you talk conversationally, you would tell it why it's interesting to you, and then you would give some sort of thoughts at the end. And that's really all we want out of the blog post is that something that's more yeah. conversational than anything else. Yeah. And I assume since your firm has a number of blogs now that the firm's uh, thinking overall has evolved on blogging. I, I assume the firm is supportive of blogging and helps you promote it and, and is involved in, in, in ways such as that. Is that is that fair to say? They do. They do. It's been really interesting because, like I said, when we first jumped out there and did this, I heard about it from all of my partners and other practice groups. It's going to be another waste of time. And um, now we get other practice groups that will want to cross market their blog post on ours because mm – -hmm. Ours is the oldest one. Like we've, we've got a cannabis practice group. And so they, they will often send us something and say, here's something that we think would be interesting for your writers. And we still tweak it a little bit so it, it becomes our content and just suggest what they do. But we get a lot more of those other practice groups that want to jump onto our blog as well. And it has been an interesting, and I think some of it is just the way that blogs have changed over the years, you know, yeah. It, they really have stuck it out. And every morning when I get into work, I usually spend about 20 minutes going to three or four that I read almost. It, these are guys that are doing it daily. Yeah. And I'm just in awe of those kind of people that do it every day. 
But yeah. usually I'll come up with some sort of idea from seeing the things that they've, they've got either on style or, you know, some area of the law that I never thought we would want to discuss. But you have to be real careful and not look like you're stealing from somebody else. Either. Right. So, right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm a big believer that no matter what your practice area is, it could be labor and employment. It could be intellectual property. It could be whatever. Uh, you really need to be reading at least the leading blogs in that area just to stay on top of and maybe ahead of the game in terms of what's going on in your practice area. Any other uh, advice that you would give uh, aspiring uh, or new bloggers out there starting out in the legal area? Anything else you've learned about it? Yeah, I just, I mean, don't be afraid to do it, but if you're going to do it, make sure that you commit. I mean, if, if you're going to do it, you need to at least say, I'm going to try and put something out once a week, once every two weeks, once every three weeks, and just make sure that you, you know, you do that because if you don't, it's going to look really, really, really sad. But don't be afraid. For me, it also gives me a whole lot of pleasure because I feel like I've created something. You feel like you've written something. You know, when you get the metrics back and see how many people read it or you get an email from a client that just said, I really enjoyed that you picked up on that subject matter or I sent this out to a lot of our employees. It really gives you a sense of satisfaction that I never would thought. I never thought that would be a part of my law practice. It being, it, I mean, I'm not published, I wouldn't think. But, I mean, it is kind of like feeling like you're a writer and kind of feeling like you're published when you do it. Because you do have other people that are reading what you wrote, and they might think that you gave them some good advice. I'd argue that it is like being a writer <laughs> yeah. and that it is like being published. But, uh, no, that's great. That's great. Well, thanks so much uh, for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure to uh, talk to you and to hear about your blog. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for asking me. So we've been talking with Will Manuel, uh, author, editor of the Labor and Employment Insights blog at the law firm Bradley Arendt Bolt Cummings, LLP. Thanks again to Will for joining us today. And once again, this was episode 46, I guess, of This Week in Legal Blogging. Uh, if you haven't yet, be sure to peruse our full library of shows wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, feel free to drop us a quick rating or review. We'd appreciate it. And lastly, head over to lexblog.com slash TWILB for this week in legal blogging for outlines of each and every episode so far. On behalf of myself and everybody at Lexblog, thanks for listening.